Hello, I'm Ali Baker, she, her. You're listening to Fantasy Book Club, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Helen McCallum, SFF fan extraordinaire, convention runner, crafter, vaccinator, and all-round awesome person. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Ali. It is lovely to be um, here with you in this beautiful sitting room uh, where we're surrounded <laughs> by tea and cakes. It's not a Zoom meeting at all. No, no, we actually are in the library of our dreams. Yes. Let's imagine, with cats, we've got, I don't know, lemon drizzle cake. We've got some nice wine. We're not at all in our own front rooms with a pint of water. Not yeah. at all. That that's not, not that's not happening at all. Okay. So um what's up with you then? What have you been doing recent with yourself recently? What's up with me? Um gosh, well, uh I have been merrily volunteering, uh doing vaccinations for the St. John Ambulance, which is uh something I took up doing in January. Uh well, I started training in January and then obviously the 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 vaccination process was rolled out later. And I, um, yes, what else, what else? Uh, I have been, <laughs> I'm still working, tutoring uh, little kids, uh, including I teach them creative writing. And um, one of my plans is to get them to realise that they are all little writers, even if they don't think they are. So that, that's one of the things I like doing. Well, that sounds amazing. Um, so you chose that we read uh, Enid Blyton's Magic Faraway Tree. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Can you remember your experience of reading it as a child? So this is one of the things that's come up in various um, science fiction fantasy discussions that I've had over the ridiculous number of oh gosh, nearly 30 years. I've been in science fiction fandom. Sorry, oh, that wow. that was just that was just a dawning realization. That I don't <laughs> think One of the things that people always say is, "Oh, what was your first science fiction book? What was your first fantasy book?" Mm. And lots of people are, "Oh, yes, The Lord of the Rings, or this, that, or the other." And I'm like, "No, my first fantasy books were written by Ned Blyton." Mm. This is because when I was a kid, um, the town I lived in didn't actually have a bookshop in it. But it did have a large number of churches and churches have jumble sales. And for some reason, um, other people have, have, when I've had this conversation with them, have talked about, you know, being able to buy lots um, Agatha Christie books at jumble sales, mm. other things like that. Shally school books. I don't know. For, that was in, me. <laughs> for, yeah. For some reason in East Kilbride, everybody was decluttering their Enid Blytons. Mm. So I ended up with a massive collection of them. And uh, the Magic Faraway Tree must have been one of those. I remember it being quite a nice hardback. I think it possibly was the 1971 edition because I was looking at pictures. Um, it's not the new revised edition where they changed any of the any of the names or anything like that. No, it was the, the classic original. And I do just remember this being my escape book. Because one of the things I didn't remember is I always remembered the Magic Faraway Tree as being the book I liked best. And I'd also completely forgotten it's the middle of a trilogy. Yes. It's not actually the first book. I'd have sworn blind that it was the first book in this in the trilogy about about the magic faraway tree, but it is not. Is it um the Enchanted Forest that's the first one? Yeah, the Enchanted Forest, the first one, then the magic faraway tree, and then something about cousin Gwendolyn turning up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is cousin Gwendolyn a spoiled brat? Cousin Gwendolyn is a spoiled brat. Oh, I think she might. I wonder if Agatha Christie had like a long term foe that was called Gwendolyn because. In it, In it, Why am I saying Agatha Christie? Yeah, thank you. Start again. Steve can get right. that bit. <laughs> Steve can get that bit out. I wonder if Enid Blyton had a long term foe called Gwendolyn because the soppy spoilt girl 
in um, Mallory Towers, Towers. also called Gwendolyn. Yes, so, she wasn't allowed to uh, get get on the train with her back to the engine. Her mother wouldn't let her. That was yes. Gwendolyn. Yeah, exactly. And she was always worried about getting a cold or something. Yeah. Yes. Can you summarise the plot of Magic Faraway Tree for us? Yes. There's a tree. It's quite far away and it's magic. No, anyway, there's a tree. <laughs> there's a tree in the middle of an enchanted forest that is a magic tree in that it's no particular variety. You can turn up one day and discover the level of the tree you're on is growing plums, but you climb up a few more steps and there's acorns and then there might be something else tree-like. But then you climb all the way up to the very top of this very tall tree little windows and doors on the way and you discover at the very top there's a step ladder that'll take you to a magic land now it's a different magic land in rotation they they come they they move around on some sort of cloud i don't know why i'm looking for any logic here and it will be a different a different land at the top of the step ladder some of them nice some of them not so nice and uh some children who have who in book one for some reason had to leave London and move to the forest, uh, to a house on the edge of the forest, uh, discovered the tree in book one and now it's book two and their cousin Dick has come to stay and they take him along with them on their adventures. There's uh, the four children, Joe, Bessie, Fanny and Dick and uh, one of the main things that was changed in the new revised editions was the names. Joe is Joe without an E but he became Joe with an E so it's more obvious that he was male. Uh, Dick became Rick, Bessie became Beth because it's a much more common name and Fanny became I believe Franny. I think it was Franny, yeah. Yeah, just, I, I know Franny's not exactly a very common name, but I think having Dick and Fanny in the same book was just possibly too much for people. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of jokes to be made about how much Enid Blyton liked Dick, um, because <laughs> there's also uh, a Dick famous in the Fanny. famous Franny, yeah. isn't there? So I don't know what he's called now. Maybe Rick as well, I don't know. Yeah, so... Um, or maybe it's just not, his name's not as bad because he doesn't have a mate called Fanny. Oh, no, but there is Aunt Fanny. There is Aunt Fanny. Yeah, Aunt Uncle Fanny Quentin. in the Famous Five. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, one of the things that you will find a contrast with this book in the Famous Five is, of course, in the Famous Five, George is allowed to be a tomboy. George is yes. allowed to be George. And she does get away with not doing all the making picnic things and what have you that Anne ends up being forced to do. In the Magic Faraway Tree, that does not happen. The girls do girl things, the boys do boy things. I've got an example here if you want me to, to read it. I've got, I've got notes. Yay. Joe, father wants you to dig up some potatoes for him after tea. Dick can help you. And Bessie and Fanny, I want you to finish my ironing for me because I have to take some mended clothes to Mrs. Harris and she lives such a long way away. So there we are. The girls do the ironing, uh, mother to make pin money. I think they're in straightened circumstances, mm. which is why they now live in the country, is doing mending. And Joe and Dick are helping with the whole good life thing and digging up the potatoes for dinner. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, the book was published in 1943, um, mm -hmm. which is significant. And I think it's interesting that it was published because of the um, the amount of books that didn't get published yeah. during World War II because of the paper shortage. But obviously, Blyton was such a well-known figure that, that her books did get published. But yeah. I think it's it's also interesting, and maybe if I ever see a copy of The Enchanted Forest, I will read it. But um, it's interesting that they have father. I mean, father is very absent from the books. Yeah. He, you know, he rarely, I don't, does he speak? I don't think he does. But he leaves instructions, but yes. Yeah. So we don't really know what father is up to. Um, and... So I think the the aspect of the working in the garden is probably something that a lot of 
Enid Blyton's readers would have been familiar with, the whole dig for victory thing. Yeah. Um, and presumably a lot of girls would also be familiar with with helping with the housework because there was, you know, as we as a lot of World War II novels tell us, that there was a servant problem um, during the World War II and after because there were more opportunities for working class women rather than um, being domestic servants. Um, you know, the Agatha Christie's books post World War II are full of, uh, you know, people having refugees as servants or whatever who don't do things properly. Um, but it is really interesting how there's no mention of the war at all. But I think for me as an adult reader, it was very obvious that that this book has aspects of the war in it, although there's no mention of rationing, for example. Um, uh, but there is a lot of mentions of sweets and cakes, which, of course, that would have been a fantasy for a lot of wartime children. All you could eat sweets and cakes. Yes. Lands that appear at the top of the tree where, where sweets just grow and you can just take them. Um, mm. Yeah, what, and also the uh, in this cousin, in, as I mentioned, in this book it's cousin Dick. In the next book, it's 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 Gwendolyn, who I think is another cousin, mm. um, are turning up from London to yes. live in the country. Now, there's the reasons given for why they're turning up to live in the country are different. I, oh, Dick's mother's not well; mm. she can't look after him. But at the same time, that is sort of that would perhaps be quite common that if you had country cousins that had room, you would turn up to live with them rather than being mm. evacuated in the more, in the, the sort of more standard sense that we think of it. Yeah. I know my, my own mother ended up with her cousins out in a place on the Edinburgh side of Scotland, uh, but sort of at the sea, well yeah. away from, well away from where she was born, which was uh, Clyde Bank in Glasgow, which is not where you wanted to be hanging out in 1940, no. especially if you were just a baby. Most definitely because um, of the shipbuilding, yeah. so it would have been a yeah. prime prime spot for bombing. My, I mean, my, they, my dad it, went, it really was, but... <laughs> yeah, my dad went to Wales uh, from, well, not just outside London, uh, and he stayed with um his aunt his uh, his paternal aunt uh, who had married a, a welsh uh, a welsh organist and uh, lived in Carmarthen so so my dad uh, grew up speaking a little bit of welsh um because of spending time with with his aunt and uncle uh, in north wales talked a little bit about food but i think there's also an awful lot about the body and punishment of the body and the punishment of, of inappropriate bodies within uh, within the book, which of, of course is an ongoing, um, rather unpleasant trope in children's books, which is, thank goodness, being challenged um, a certain amount these days. But um, what, what were your thoughts about that, about um, the way that unruly bodies are, are punished? Yeah, uh, well, one of my main thoughts was actually the fact that, again, like other Rita Blyton things, there's so many of the names of people are descriptive. Mm -hmm. Like Moonface has a big round face like the yeah. moon. And um, uh, the saucepan man is covered in saucepans. Yes. And uh, Silky, the, she's a fairy. She's got beautiful, silky blonde hair. And I always wonder if she maybe has a brother called Baldy. <laughs> But yeah, and uh, there's definitely, you would be punished for being greedy as well. I don't know if that's coming in as a whole, another aspect of wartime. Mm. But um, at one point, there's a, a sweetie called a toffee shock that they get. Again, back to the food, but also back mm. to the punishment. And Dick being a very naughty boy, but also not, um, not, not knowing about the, perhaps as much about magic food and what have you grabs a toffee shock puts it in his mouth but he gets the biggest one and the thing with yes. the toffee shock is that as you chew them they get bigger and bigger and bigger until finally they go pop but because he took the biggest one it was nearly too much and it nearly did for him before it went pop <laughs> yeah and there's the one where they go to is it the land 
of do as you please. Yes, and you can do what you like. And you can do what you like. And he, he what he wants is, and the land of goodies, actually, what he yeah. wants is to eat. And he is, you know, told off about that. He's punished for it, particularly in the land of goodies, where he steals part of someone's house um, and eats it. I think it's a door knocker that he steals, isn't it? And, he, you know, he gets everybody into trouble because of eating this uh, this thing. And then he finally learns in the last chapter, the land of presents, when he can't choose uh, a box of chocolates for him, he has to think about someone else and then he gets the box of chocolates in return. Yeah, the stories are all very moral. Yes. Um, It's one of the things I noticed that really hadn't, I really hadn't remembered from when I was a child. I remembered these stories being really exciting and there being some danger, but there's really not. They Mm -hmm. go to these lands and they get into little scrapes and pickles, but usually the actual danger isn't for more than a paragraph or two before somebody comes up with something that uh, that fixes it. Yeah, and, and they're often, the children are, are not always, what's more common in children's fantasy fiction, I think, is that the children are empowered and they come up with ways of, of rescuing themselves. But in a lot of these stories, it isn't the children that come up with it. Joe comes up with some of them because she's, He's the oldest and, and therefore yeah. the kind of in loco parentis child, uh, like Julian in Famous Five. But a lot of the time it is the the faraway tree people who who um, come up with uh, the solutions and rescue the children, um, which I, I find quite interesting. Um, it's the peril is very mild. Yeah. Um, there, there isn't a great deal of, you know, there's there's the danger that they might get trapped in the in a land, isn't there? Yeah, uh, you like know, if, if a land, the land moves... that makes them fall asleep, or mm. yeah, the land will move around and you don't know when you'll get back to the faraway tree. Yes, but the, really, there there is very little real peril, and I I suppose I can understand that from again, you know, the wartime setting of it. That it is, there's nothing too physically dangerous that's that's going to be happening in this book. Yeah, I guess the peril is all very childlike. Like at one point, mm. Joe gets trapped upside down, or another time they're locked in a tower by an evil wizard. And the other thing is, there's no big massive danger, but also mm. I didn't I didn't notice. Obviously, I didn't notice reading it as a child, but perhaps. Perhaps because it was such a favourite book of mine, even when I read it when I was a bit older, I didn't even notice things like, um, not neither no peril, there's actually no real surprise either. Like the kid's mum, they to Aunt Polly, they turn back up uh, one time on a flying table and she goes, oh, goodness gracious me. Yes. I know, I actually tell like it's, well, really, whatever next. <laughs> He's hanging out clothes in the garden and the kids arrive back on a flying table and she says, well, really. Yeah, and it's I, like, I feel that perhaps it'd be a bit more, I, I'd perhaps be a little bit more surprised if my kids were, I mean, I could understand them getting into perils and scrapes and what have you, but actually arriving on a flying table, it's a bit... Yeah, uh, and when she meets... Um, Moonface, Silky and Saucepan Man. She's not really particularly no. surprised about that either. Which I, is... I, I hope I would be. Or, um, or when the children get the invite to go to the land of goodies. It's like, oh, you go to Magic Lands at the top of a tree. Fine, tell me that. I'm your mother. I will nod and smile and go, what lovely story you told me, children. But then they get a letter from someone who is... You know, a grown-up, granted a grown-up with a moony face, yeah. uh, invited her to the land of goodies. And she goes, well, I never did hear of such funny happenings. I suppose there's lots of nice things to eat there. And that's why you all want to go. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very, very unremarkable. Um, and our, our friend Farah has, has talked about how the narration might be very childlike 
in a way yeah. not not in a not sort of in a derogatory way but it's the, the story the way that a child might tell it which I think is is probably probably something and I think you know there is it must be quite a comforting thing to read I think I mean, if you if you're someone who reads and rereads and rereads books then there is you're getting something out of that rereading and I think you know we all had comfort books that we read when we were children um a comfort read and a read that is to me it seems very bland um and I uh, we also have friends who have read it with their children and their children have enjoyed it but I wonder whether this is a book that children might select to read themselves these days uh without it being without having that extra pleasure of sharing something with their parents and knowing that this is mummy or daddy's favorite book from when they were little yeah I definitely don't think so I remember getting a couple of the famous five books for for my boys and then being a bit they were they they read them they thought they were fine but no they they didn't there wasn't that sense of gosh wouldn't it be amazing to just go away for the summer and have your own island in a boat or with this one wouldn't it be amazing to go away to a top of a tree where where different lands come round and mm. maybe I was thinking one day I'd go to a nice I'd go to the top of the tree and it'd be a nice comfortable land where I could just hang out for a bit have a yeah. holiday yeah that would be nice yeah I think my my uh my top of the tree uh land would probably be um you know a beach with some sunshine not like at the moment when it's very gray and cloudy here in Brighton with um a library and uh, maybe a cocktail bar that would that would be my my fantasy island yeah that I, th- I think that'd be <laughs> yeah right letters and comment people write in with your fancy land at the top of the tree. <laughs> yes absolutely one of the weird things as well is again uh, talking about the, the being written from a more childlike perspective is it, it has the sort of curiosity of a child like um one of the characters lives in a tree bless him is angry pixie mm. well done Aiden Blight and for giving people exciting names and angry pixie is an angry pixie because he's got a house fairly low down as trees go and um because he tends to be the first window that people pass when they've just discovered this amazing new tree people tend to look in his window and he's you know uh, like like it was Dick did it in this book. Goodness, does somebody live here? Look, there's a window here. I'm going to peek in. So do you go around peeping in people's windows in London? Dick, you get into big trouble. Exactly. And it, it, that, again, is something that happens several times in the book, isn't it? Where yeah, they go people, people peeping peep in at windows. There must be, I don't know, maybe that's something to do with blackout. I don't know. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm being too complex here but yeah it does seem to be a thing that 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 really bothers Enid Blyton which is you know how rude it is to peep in at people's windows maybe mm-hmm. she had lots of people peeping in at her windows I don't know but it it's a, an ongoing thing as we were talking about the narration um and the the kind of way that the the narration is is very matter of fact in many ways one of the repeated phrases that she comes out with is saying, how very queer, exclamation mark, or yeah. calling things a queer little whatever, exclamation mark, as though the reader would not would not see that this was out of the ordinary without her telling us that. Yeah. Um, so I wonder what... Why that is, why is she telling us so often that these things are odd? Because it's a very external narration, isn't it? We don't get a lot of interiority of the characters. When we do hear them talking about their, we hear them talking about their experiences, but we don't see inside their heads very often, do we? 
No, it's 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 very much you are. It's very much you are. You are just told. <laughs> there is it, when I'm teaching creative writing, I tell my children show don't tell until you're you've been doing this for a bit longer, and then you can break the rules. Because yeah. at the minute, the group I have, they're only eight, so they're only just starting. Yeah. So I tell them, you know, do this now and then break the rules when you're bigger. Um, yes, everything is just just there. Um, like if something's if something's silly, they go, well, that's silly. You know, if yeah. if if um, if something's surprising, somebody will go, well, really? <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's in that way. That is the childlike narration. But it's, it doesn't, um, it's obviously quite, how old were you when you first read this book, do you think? Do you know what, I, I really can't remember, but I was probably, but because it was a book that I would have picked up at a jumble sale and probably, probably picked up by myself, I was always given a few pennies and, and it's funny, mm. if you go to jumble sales at the end, a lot of adults will go to take a bag full for 10p. Probably was seven or eight. I was probably really a bit old for it because I was, I was a good reader. Mm. I was one of those kids that was was an early reader and a confident reader. But um, but I was probably a bit older when I actually got these books just because I would have had to have picked them up by myself. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I didn't read Magic Faraway Tree as a child, but I did read a couple of her fantasy books and I think I was probably I'd probably grown out of them and my my godmother bless her used to give me them as a child for, as a birthday present and I never really liked them but I was never allowed to tell her that obviously <laughs> be rude. Yeah. but um I don't I think I used to think they were a bit boring and I suspect that part of the reason why I thought they were a bit boring was to do with the very flat nature of the narration it's a very I find it quite monotone um I think I at the time when I started reading a lot of fantasy fiction was when I was about nine and I think I was reading books that were a bit more perhaps um narratively interesting to me you know like uh, yeah. Susan Cooper or um uh, Alan Garner books like that yeah, all these books that I never got because of the, my sort of like very limited access books. If there was like nobody else around who was reading that, I just didn't get them. So now I'm wondering, you know, would I have, would this still be the book I remember so fondly if I had had access to good mm. fiction? Um, certainly when I was just about 12 nearly 12 I, that's when I started secondary school and my secondary school was further away from my house um but then like I could have gone to the local secondary but I'd chosen to to sort of dump all the kids I've been to primary school with and go <laughs> to a secondary school that was closer to my grandparents house because I, I thought oh I can pop in on my way home and that's sort of thing and uh, that also so that also meant that I was closer to in between school and home I was closer to like the big library and that was where I first went in, sort of first went in the adult section for something that wasn't a non-fiction book. And the first shelves of the adult section in this library were science fiction and fantasy. And that was it. I was away. All those yeah. big yellow books. That that's and so I probably went straight from these inner blanks to reading, you know, science fiction and fantasy. And uh, sort of miss that whole bit of your Susan Cooper's, your Alan Gardner's, your, you know, um, just Lovely. never, yeah. yeah, never read those books as a child, and which is, of course, heartbreaking and, and boo. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm extremely lucky because, uh, like you, I grew up in a small town which didn't have, well, we had a, a, a WH Smith's, but we didn't have, uh, you know, an actual bookshop. But we did have a fantastic public library. Now, I'm 10 years older than you, so I was a small child, you know, before, you know, the, the cuts in public spending in um, the 1980s. Um, and we, our children's librarian was amazing. I mean, to have a, a, a dedicated children's librarian who was really enthusiastic about children's fantasy and science fiction um, at this tiny little library was just amazing. 
Um, now, of course, our library is, uh, or my hometown's library is open two hours a day, uh, three days a week, and open longer on Saturdays, but still, you know, very limited time, which is an absolute tragedy. Um, and yeah, she was she was the one that really got me into reading because you know our family didn't have a great deal of money. Um, like you, I bought a lot of books in jumble sales. Um, but yeah, you were then limited to, to what people were getting rid of, which was a lot of um, Collins classics, uh, children's classics that were sort of 1970s or 1950s, actually, hardbacks of, of things like The Three Musketeers. So I was very lucky. I, I read some fabulous books, but yeah, it was adrian jakes at the the library that that got me into reading which does we didn't have a big children's section in our library which is why i think i miss i miss so much i think Mm. at one point i got a certificate because for the little local library near my house i got certificates i'd read it all um (laughs) you finished the library (laughs) it was that was like a hundred books and anyone that's listening to this podcast who was like us as children remembers that you could read you could read 100 books in a summer holiday oh easily easily yeah and and actually go back time back to go back to when I could read a book in a day I think I did the Lord of the Rings trilogy in a week which was from the uh the turn mind you I skipped on Bombardier but you know who doesn't skip Tom Bombardier (laughs) We're gonna get let Angie back. You froze for a bit. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, my internet connection's going weird again. Um yeah, so yeah, we're we're gonna get lots of people saying, Oh, come on, yeah, the Tom the Tom Bombadil purists will be on our on our trails. Oh, we do know some. <laughs> so anyway, I am I am very sorry that I made you reread this book because or even read it the first read time it. but yeah. oh my goodness it's 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 terrible it's I, so bad I think it's it's kind of um interestingly enough because I've been writing my PhD thesis on um critique of children's fiction uh children's fantasy fiction um throughout sort of adult in particular adults views of of children's fantasy fiction I find it fascinating that there is every every generation. It's like every generation has a slayer. It's like every generation <laughs> has a demonized children's author. That there is a lot of moral hoo-hahs about it. And I rem- I've read. I think it's in um, Children and Their Books. Whitehead et al. Um, there are comments in that book, which is from the early seventies, about books uh that children read uh, and it's very much based on social class and so there is a big moral panic about working class children and what working class children read and Enid Blyton was the one that uh teachers were saying will not children who are reading Enid Blyton will not pass their 11 plus the oh, language well. isn't good enough but I didn't when, pass my 11 plus, so... I didn't even take my <laughs> no, 11 plus. I didn't plus. take an 11. There wasn't a grammar school where I lived. You no. um, I could have done two train journeys and maybe got to the local grammar, but no. no there's no there's no grammar schools in, uh, where I grew up either. But nowadays, of course, it sats. Yeah. And there is an, there are authors that teachers frequently say... Children will not. Oh, children will not do well in their level in their year six sets if they read this author. And again, it's one of the most popular authors at the time, and it is Jeff Kinney who wrote Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and I that is the demonised author at the moment. I, I did not know that I because I know which author I'd like to demonise at the minute, Mr. Williams. Oh, and- yeah. For many, many reasons, yes. For many, many reasons. Um, and some but of them for the, the kids, reasons. All of the kids, I, I am that I like. I said I am still working with children, especially uh, eight-year-olds, and that my best writer devours his books. She thinks they're wonderful. She'll read me the best bits, 
And she's such a, an enthusiastic and clear reader that I would never say to her, don't read this book. But I might yeah. say, perhaps if you tried. <laughs> well, I, I think it's very interesting that we're picking out you know, the, the, the way that uh, bodies are punished uh, and unruly bodies are punished within, um, often physically punished as well. There's lots okay. of talk of spanking in... Uh, yes. in hard magic far yeah yes Paul, Paul moon face his big big moon face gets six hard slaps it does and of course poor saucepan man because he's deaf as opposed from his saucepans that he wears he gets picked on as well for not yeah, hearing he gets yeah he gets there's a lots of jokes about him mishearing things on there but in exactly the same in um, jk rowling and the way that dudley dursley gets a uh, pig's tail on uh, put on him in the first yeah. in the first one is it? I think yeah, it's the first yeah. one. Yeah, it's when when he meets Hagrid. And of course, Williams also uh, talks about um, fatness and fat bodies as as being unattractive, and uh, you know, there's a lot of physical punishment in his books. Oh, and of course, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So yeah. that that sort of thread of of um, the unruly body and the fat body becoming punished is is an ongoing thing in children's literature, which I really, if that could be one trope that died, I would love it. I really would. It's it's so yeah. unfair uh, and and so unkind to children. And uh, oh well, and of course at the time I I internalized all that. I was a terrible terrible child, and I must have been greedy and awful because I was fat. And I tell you what, you look at pictures of me as a little kid mm. and I, I wasn't fat. I mean, God, I am now. But uh, hello, this podcast, it's not a visual medium. I am I am, a, I, I am a lady of size, but I'm quite comfortable with myself now. But yes. that, that child who hated herself so much for being fat, you see pictures of me and it's like, oh, no, wait. I just, I've always yeah. been kind of solidly built. I was decidedly solid. I had like thick ankles and like strong shoulders I I wasn't there it was it wasn't fat <laughs> yeah and, but, and I but I was bullied for it um and especially by my family um my mum mm. was my mum was sort of a very very petite woman at, when she was younger and she'd take me to the she, she once took me to the doctors about about my legs and he had to explain to her what a cankle was it's like no 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 there's nothing up with your kid's legs she doesn't have water retention she just has legs that go straight up and down some people and some do. people do exactly <laughs> but I think this is an interesting point to think about when we move on to the book that I asked you to read which mm -hmm. is you know picks up a lot of the um the themes we've been talking about one of the main libraries, of course, um, The Dragon in the Library by Louis Stoll, which is published by Nosy Crow, and it were in 2019. Um, and it's the, the blurb on the back says, save the library, save the world. Kit can't stand reading. She'd much rather be outside playing games and getting muddy than stuck inside with a book. But when she's dragged along to the library one day by her two best friends, she makes an incredible discovery and soon it's up to Kit and her friends to save the library and the world. Um, yay. Yay. Which is, and yeah. you know, it does everything it says on the tin, this book, I think. There is indeed a dragon in the library uh, and Kit has to um, do various things and her friends uh, to do various things to... to um, save uh the library and not save the library from the dragon but actually save the dragon uh as part of saving the library um one of the things i really liked about kit in this book is that she is uh while she is a chosen one and i i do have uh i i have misgivings about chosen one narratives yes. Um, although there's no suggestion that there can only be one wizard, but, you know, Kit is special because it turns out she's a child wizard. But she is also tall. She's bigger than her friends. And, and um, Louis Stoll does say that she is um, 
wider than her friends. I can't remember exactly how she puts it. Um, but, you know, Alita is is uh, little and uh, neat and tidy, uh, one of her best friends. And, and Kit is big. Uh, she's tall. She's strong. She likes messing about and being muddy. And... Very chaotic home life. Yes. Um, just, you know, babies and parents that are doing their best. But Yes. Uh, and, and um, yes, her, her little siblings that, that she kind of tries to escape from her house, from the, the noisiness and chaos of her house sometimes. Um, and uh, Alita's household is very much not like that. But, and Kit is... It's never really, it's not commented on negatively. It's a little throwaway comment that I think if you if you weren't looking for that, you wouldn't yeah. necessarily see it. But that, I think, must be something that would be quite um, important to children who don't feel particularly special in any way, um, particularly if yeah. they're not the cleverest in their friend group or the prettiest or the daintiest or whatever to be special for something must be quite um comforting yeah and the fact that although the whole point of the book is to um save the library the fact that kit is not the reader she's only yeah. there because her, her friends are after the latest danny fandango book which there's a, a cue for a bit like trying to get the latest harry potter from yes. your uh, library i should imagine um, yeah, uh, the reason why I liked the book and thank you for recommending it to me was because of that, you know, it is it is a very standard kids fantasy book. You've got to, you know, you've you've got to save the world. There's something different about you somehow. Yeah, it is it is that strong friend group. Um and it is yeah, uh, it, it, again, it's very simply written. It is a book for a, a younger child. It's mm. not likes to, as much as it can, sort of subvert certain ideas. And the bad guy as well, the bad guy isn't described sort of like um, in sort of racialized terms or what have you. I think the only, the only thing we really get about his appearance is he's got slightly unruly hair. But it's not, you know, it's not that he's, yeah, it's not like the goblins in Harry Potter or something like that. No, it's it's no. very much, it's very much he's a bad guy because he wants, well, at first you think it's because he wants money. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's capitalism was the enemy all along. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, when you first meet the librarian, she's described as being like a, a nice a nice lady with, with, with dreadlocked hair as well. So it's... Uh, Oh, yes, the, the magic system. I did want to mention the magic system in this book because you mentioned it earlier. It's like Kit is a chosen one because she's the only uh, child child magician or child magicians tend not to turn up. And magicians are the people who look after the libraries in this world. Um, I like the fact that the librarian is like, no, you, you go to school, you finish school, you get a qualification and then you go. Yes. become a librarian there's none of these um none of these you're a wizard kitty potter now off you go to hogwarts it's like you're a kid i'm yeah. gonna show I, and at first before they realize that there is peril uh i'm gonna show you how to control this magic enough that you don't get hurt but then as far as the library times where you just you're gonna do nothing with it until you're grown up right Yes, yeah, you, you've got to be protected because you're a child. You're not going to be sent yeah. into battle, you know, on your own at the age of 13 or whatever you are. You have got to go to school and, and learn stuff and get some GCSEs so that, you know, you you can actually get a job that is not, um, you know, just being a factotum in the wizarding world. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that too. Yeah, one of the things I I found quite interesting was that there is there is an element of freedom within both books, and children are allowed to do things without their parents. That I think seem both of them seem quite reasonable for the time. Um, I don't know if you were a child that was told to get out of the house and not come back until it was a meal time. Oh, um, um, my mum wasn't. There was there was well. Sorry, for quite a lot of my childhood, there wasn't a house, there was a caravan. 
Yes. And also quite a lot of my childhood, there would be no one there. Uh, my dad did stuff, uh, none of which we might think was mostly legal. Um, and But he did have a white van, so he was very useful. He, mm. he, would, you know, he was basically a man in a van. And my mum cleaned houses, uh, which, of course, if you were at school, it was quite a good job because she would she would generally she would want to be finished before five people would come home to their house and they would want to, you know, they, would, they wouldn't want to clean her around. So she'd start later and, and come home fairly early because she did it during the day when, when those people were out at their mm. work. So when you were at school, that was, you know, a great job to have if you had kids. But during the summer holidays, it was very much, there'd be nobody there. Just go entertain yourself. There's, there's, there's water in the tap and there's a, there's some jam in the fridge and you can sort yourself out for lunches. Yes. And, and yeah, I my my big memory of, of summer holidays, um, I mean, of course, you know, when we were children, it was all, the sun was always shining, but it was very much, you know, during school holidays, um, you know, kids out of the house, mum's got things to do. She doesn't want children around her. And if you did get into an argument with somebody and you went home and complained, chances were mum would say well you can't play outside nicely you may as well come stay in and help me clean the bathroom or whatever so no one ever went home and complained about things but um I do like the the, there's a difference between I think children if anything that although I suppose their children are probably supposed to be a bit younger than the famous five but they have less freedom than a lot of children in 1940s books do. It wasn't like, you know, by mum, we're off on our bikes to go travelling around, you know, Cornwall uh, on yeah. our own. <laughs> it is, yeah. you know, mom, can we Can we go to the magic tree? Exactly. Yes, you can, if you've yeah. done your chores. Yes. And I think it's partly because the, the family in the magic faraway tree book is supposed to be in sort of like, um, like, like, Le- less good circumstances than they were that yes. mum is actually relying on the kids to do a lot of the a lot of their own upbringing a lot of the adulting yeah absolutely but in the in the dragon in the library it's um your mum we're going out where are you going we're going to the library and then to play in the cemetery okay stay together which yeah. is you know the the boundaries are similar which, mm-hmm. in a way that I think is quite interesting, given that the books are 60 years between, or more than 60 years between the, the two books. Um, yeah. So that that's quite interesting. Um, I also like the, uh, the name checking in uh, The Dragon in the Library. It's almost like they're trying to... I, I've noticed this also with uh, Robin Stevens' Murder Most Unladylike series. Mm. She will name check a lot of really good books. Yes. And in Dragon in the Library, when the, the kids, spoiler, can't get the latest Danny Fandango because those books were taken out the second the library opened, uh, they, they're given a copy of Wizard of Ersi. Yes. And it's almost like um, it's like a nod from the author of go- to to us, like older people reading the book. It's going, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get these kids to, if they pick up my book, they might then go pick up Wizard of Ersi because they've seen the name of it in my book. And with Murder yeah. Most Unladylike, it's your your um, in the one that's on the Orient Express, the the Daisy Wells is reading Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. Perhaps yeah. the child will then go, oh well, I've read these books, I guess that's next yeah I absolutely did that as a child um particularly with Little Women actually which I've read and reread and reread you know since I first read it when I was eight or nine definitely had the Collins classic of that one I had the Collins classic of Little Women and it was a big hardback she flipped it over on the other side with Joe's Boys or Little Men I forget but anyway it was double-sided it was Little Women, and then you actually turn it upside down, and the other side was. Yeah, because she, she, I, I first started to try to read Dickens when I was about eight or nine. I tried to read the Pickwick Papers and had no idea what was going on. Um, <laughs> but I had. Well, at least you picked up the Pickwick Papers because of Little Women. I picked up um oh the 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 uh Slower's Death Bond one, Pilgrim's Progress. I went and got Pilgrim's Progress to read. Well, we had that. <laughs> because of Little Women. 
we had that in the house. Yes, I knew what Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress was, but yeah, and I, I think I might have had a child, child's edition of it. But it, though that's a lovely thing, I think that sort of name checking books, and it's you know some children will go and pick up those other books and try and read them. Some children mm-hmm. won't, but at least it's there's uh, there's an idea that books have come from somewhere. It's they're not out of nowhere. Um, and I absolutely loved the names of the Danny Fandango books. They really made yeah. me laugh. They were they were very very good fun. So do do you see elements of of the bo- bodily punishment? Um, you know the sort of unruly characters being punished. I felt that unruliness was actually um, praised and seen positively in the Dragon in the Library. Yes, with Kit with um, not being not being like other girls but also mm. you know sort of coming across as actually especially with the name kit being quite a uh almost a non-binary character i mean yes. yeah the, the the character is described using she her pronouns but you could imagine uh, a slightly older kit would be quite happy to be they them as well um oh, oh hello cat, cat. yes yeah, so <laughs> oh here comes the cat i'm not ignoring you uh and uh, yes, uh, you're, you're not. There's everybody's different, and mm. those differences are sort of um, praised and enjoyed. And uh, like that, there's a little uh, dragon dog crossbreed called Dobbin, and because Alita's very good with with dogs, especially I think her own dog is some sort of fierce beast, and she's just like, oh no, it's just a doggy. It's and the the the, the dragon dog becomes like almost her her familiar yes because you just get so it's like this person's good with dogs this person is um apparently a magician who can walk in and out of books i haven't read the the, the next book yet but i i sort of hope that josh gets some kind of uh i mean he's, he's the he's clever isn't he he's very yeah, josh is josh is the cleverest and quite sensible so. Mm-hmm. yeah so but uh, yeah i hope he gets some kind of um so, it's interesting you you thought you I got that vibe as well with Kit that she is um she's quite George of the books, but not in a way that she's almost as good as a boy. She is yeah. good as herself, which is was really, really nice. And I was such I was um although I was quite a physical girl, I also was was quite a, a girl who liked nice things when I was a small child so I I never really got on with that idea that you know being feminine is weakness I I never enjoyed that so it's quite nice to see that uh, both Kit and Alita can be girls different types of girls but not you know neither of them is is the one true girl they're they're both um, perfectly okay as they are and I, I really liked that in the book yeah it's, it's also quite interesting that it is a, a friend group there's the three of them but it's two girls mm. and a boy and the boy is the the clever one who looks things up in books and what have you and um, doesn't get to participate as much in the adventure cough Hermione cough yes. uh, so yeah maybe maybe he will get his 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 turn in the spotlight but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see so. that 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 reversal of a sort of more traditionally accepted role. Uh, yeah. My my <laughs> final sort of talking point really is is about the morals in both books. We talked about the moral aspect of um, you know what what is considered naughty or bad and what is considered good in um, Magic Faraway Tree. So where do you see the moral of um, the dragon in the library well i said earlier so it's like uh being being greedy in the dragon in the library is bad but that's because the the bad guy is, is greedy for money and mm. then later on when spoiler it turns out he's a wizard too uh he's greedy for power he wants control he wants money he wants power he's not he's not just like greedy for pop biscuits or whatever he what he wants to control he wants to, the power of the dragon and that's that's bad taking taking more power 
and more uh, money than than you should have, or more control than you. Like the wizards do come across as being quite democratic. There's like a wizard high council, but you know it's not like there's not like a wizard king, and somebody mm. wanting to assert that democracy with the dragon power and become wizard king. That's bad. That, yeah, I, that's the bad bit. It is about um, taking resources that aren't yours. Um, that's that's the what what the immoral acts yeah. are in the book. Um, you know, there, there's not sort of nobody's being punished for lying to their parents or something. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I thought that was a, an interesting point. Okay, well, our time is nearly up. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Final comments that you you want to make about um either book or anything else actually you know what i don't think i do Hmm. um i was i like i said i i enjoyed reading the dragon in the library it's a very a very a very simple book for a fairly young like youngish reader Hmm. it's possibly what we'd think of as being a first chapter book but um yeah it's the the characters are enjoyable there is more the fact that it is one long story arc, the um, yes. magic faraway tree is actually very bitty because it's all those different lands that come round. This is one long story arc, so it's maybe an introduction to perhaps be less suitable for bedtime reading because there's cliffhangers with mm. each chapter rather than magic faraway tree where every night you could read somebody a whole a whole land story if you were reading yeah. it together. I think um, I I think if I was still teaching in primary school I would read this to children who are maybe um seven to nine yeah lower stage two I would hope that yeah I'd hope that a child who was perhaps a reluctant reader would see themselves in the character of Kit and realize that there's it's also it's a very inclusive book it's inclusive in that the librarian is saying libraries are for everyone not just for your friends that read there are other things you can do in the library Mm, like yeah. save the dragon but you know <laughs> but it, it's it's nice having that character of a reluctant reader or in going back to punishment in um charlie and the chocolate factory mike tv likes watching tv so he is punished mm. what if he just really likes a good story and yes. the good stories that he likes he can access through the television why does that mean he has to be punished? Well, this is a story where you're saying, actually, you can be a child that's not big into reading books and you won't be punished for it. You can still go to the library and hang out with your friends and then go play afterwards. It's allowed. Yes, I, I love that as well. Um, so, yeah, big thumbs up for, for Louis Stowell. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking out more of her books i think they're wonderful yeah. um thank you so much helena it was so nice thank chatting you. to you uh yeah next time hopefully in um you know somewhere where we can drink a beer and uh <laughs> and talk about uh books there in a pub yeah that would be amazing oh yeah. my goodness. to see you in real life it is oh. a dream well thank yeah. you for having me on this inaugural podcast thing and um yeah uh I hope it all goes very well for you in the future. Yeah. Yes. Where can people? Do you want people to find you online? If people need to find me online, I should imagine that a lot of people listening to this podcast know me already. I hang about as a character called Adela Terrell. Now, when Buttercup was fifteen, Adela Terrell was the most beautiful woman in the whole world. But you see, she had more than a hundred sitters, and these, and she started to worry that what happened is if she got old and they didn't love her anymore, and that gave her wrinkles sadly and that's why Adela Terrell was no longer the most beautiful woman in the world and Buttercup got that job and it was just a name I picked out of a book years and years and years ago when um, I was still teaching and I didn't want to have an online presence that was my real name so when I was still teaching kids who would actually go and google you yeah google was quite a new idea they were looking up all their teachers so I just made sure that I had a different name so I'm on Facebook, Twitter. The Instagram account exists, but you will find Adela Terrell. Where I, I will be snarking about books most of the time. 
uh, I will be rambling on about Chinese costume dramas. Yeah, and oh, and getting on my my high horse and my soapbox about people giving children bad book recommendations because they remember reading Lord of the Rings when they were ten and it was great. Yes. I or, would, uh, yeah. Or, or Conan, as we know, Conan the Barbarian. Yes. <laughs> we're never going to start laughing about can, that. Can you recommend a book for my my friend's eight year old, Conan the Barbarian? Like, <laughs> <laughs> These are all real life recommendations we have heard lately. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm going to have to do my endie bit now, which I is <laughs> thank you for listening to episode one of Fantasy Book Club. You can find us on Twitter at Fantasy Swap, which sounds very dodgy, but there you go. Um, <laughs> on Facebook as Fantasy Book Swap or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podgreen. Podbean. Podgreen? Podbean. Until next time. Bye-bye.